You're listening to Doc Talk with your host, that's me, Dr. Adam Nelly. Listen and learn as we take complex health topics and make them clear, understandable, and applicable to your life. My desire is that you find the answers to the burning questions that you have, answers that will get you back on track, improve your health, and let you be who you are meant to be. Whatever your reason, thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're joining me today. Let's get started. Well, hello and welcome to episode 14. Uh, I forgive my voice. I'm a little froggy today. Uh, I've been out of the office for a day or two for a cold and a cough that I've had and I'm feeling better. And the process of feeling better was looking at some headlines and realized that the American College of Cardiology came out with a headline news article uh, decrying the ketogenic diet and claiming that it actually increases your risk for heart attack and heart disease. Um, so I thought I would look at this because that's a pretty significant claim to make, uh, especially after having done ketogenic diets for almost 20 years with patients and not seeing that as an issue at all. Um, so let me go through the study and talk with you about it and uh, reassure you uh, that this is one of the most garbage can studies I've ever seen in my life. Um, on March 5th, the the American College of Cardiology has a scientific session, their annual session, their expo, and they present research findings. And interestingly enough, this is a very small few paragraph study that was pr- apparently presented as a news article. I don't know if it was actually presented in their, in their um, lectures or not. Um, but uh, in reading the information from this article and the publisher, uh, uh, Lulia Lutan, who's a MD, PhD researcher, it appears, and, and her colleagues, I guess it's her, um, they basically reported that they saw an increase in cardiac events in, uh, as well as an increase in LDLC measurement and ApoB, which is a cardiac measurement in patients following a ketogenic diet. So in looking at this article and trying to figure out, okay, when did they see this and who did they see this with, they had a very interesting study design. I don't know who came up with it other than someone who was trying to um, shock down the ketogenic diet, and is what, which what it, is what it appears like. And let me explain why. Number one. They, they looked at a 305 patients, 78% of these were, were women, you know, average age group was around 54, uh, who had a BMI of 27, and they uh, asked them to, in one time, give them a 24-hour recollection of their diet over the last 11.8 or 12 years. So I don't know about you, if you asked me to recall what my diet was last week, I probably won't remember it all at all, but these 305 patients were asked to recall their diet over the last 11 years. And, um, and then they were actually, they actually calculated out the calories from these diets. Now, if their diet was 25%, uh, car- calories from carbohydrates or less, they were considered a low carb arm of the, of the diet. And if 45% or more of their f- the calories came from fat, they were also considered low carb, high fat. Um, now that they compared that to 1,220, uh, participants again, 54 years old is the average age. Their BMI was 28, uh, and they were considered a normal um, standard diet arm. Now they didn't include any other lab data. They didn't include any other variables like you know what, what's their what was their menstrual status state? Were they menopausal? What was their hormone status with testosterone with progesterone estrogen? They didn't look at their thyroid function. They didn't look at their exercise history. None of that. They just said, oh, okay, let's look at this. So they took 300 women. Uh, let me rephrase that's 300 people, 78% of them women and 1200 people, 78% of them also women. They had one arm, which is the the low carb arm. They had the other arm, which is the standard diet arm. Uh, again, those numbers are not comparable at all. They, they age compared them, they claimed. Uh, and then they checked their recent LDL scores uh, and they checked an ApoB score. Now it's important to understand that an LDLC is an absolutely worthless measurement. We've just, dis- we've disproven the direct correlation of LDLC and heart disease 
multiple times over over the last 15 years, but yet people still use this LDLC marker uh, as a as a risk for heart disease, and it's not. Um, I have multiple patients that have normal LDLCs who have heart disease, and I have multiple patients with high LDLCs that have absolutely wide open blood vessels. So LDLC is a worthless measurement. We've just proven LDLC is a worthless measurement for. Uh, heart disease risk or vascular disease risk over and over again over the last 15 years. If you want to see the science behind that or read the or, or listen to it, I've done a video on this on my cholesterol mini course. You can find that at docmuscles.com forward slash cholesterol. Uh, that'll give you the science and the reference articles about why LDLC is a worthless measurement uh, for uh, measuring vascular or heart disease risk. In this particular study, uh, like I said, they, they, they separated out two arms. Um, and if the low carbohydrate group was eating about uh, 1800 calories. I'm assuming they were probably eating roughly that because they had a BMI of 27. Uh, the, then about 450 calories came from carbs, 540 came from protein and 810 came from fat. That's about 112.5 grams from carbohydrate, 135 grams from protein. I don't know very many women that eat that many, that much protein, uh, and 90 grams of fat. So I doubt it was 1800 calories. And I doubt those numbers are accurate because I, I rarely meet any female who's not exercising heavily that's eating 135 grams of, car of protein. Uh, if they're eating 1,200 calories from uh, uh, per day, which is which may be cl closer to it, then 300 calories came from carbs, 360 came from protein, and about 540 came from fat. But that's still 75 grams of, of uh, carbohydrate in that diet, which is not going to lower the insulin. And it's going to keep apolipoprotein B elevated, which is what they saw in this particular uh, group. So I'm not surprised. And if ApoB is up and insulin's up, then you're not actually getting the benefit from a ketogenic or low carbohydrate diet. You're going to see heart disease formed when you're eating larger amounts of fat. And which is, which we would expect to see in this group. They were not, it is not truly a low carbohydrate diet uh, when 75 grams of carbs are coming in or in that diet. Now, this is again, a one-time measurement where they asked these people to recall what their diets were for the last 11 years. And then they extrapolated this off these measurements, which is absolutely worthless study. Um, not, effective at all. The, the author actually claims that this is worthless because of that, uh, in her, in her, in her conclusion, concluding paragraphs. Um, now the, the big question is this, uh, were they menopausal? Were they, did they have low testosterone? Uh, what were the, was, what was their activity level? They could have looked at triglycerides or insulin levels or even CRP, which I'm shocked they didn't, but they didn't. Um, so really this gives us no data whatsoever. Um, the questionnaires were horrible and you don't even know if these groups are accurate in their assessment, yet they make a claim that a ketogenic diet is going to cause increased risk of heart disease. Now, in the group, those people that claimed they were low carb had an 8 a 9.8% increase incident of new cardiac events. They don't define what a new cardiac event is. Is that they had chest pain? Did they actually have a heart attack? Did they have a, and a change in their EKG? Was there an arrhythmia? Was there atrial fibrillation? What was this new cardiac event? Um, when you have a cardiac event in the in the ER, that means you, you went into the ER with chest pain. Uh, is that what they are implying? We don't know that. Uh, that group had 9.8% uh, new cardiac event risk versus 4.3 in those that were on a regular standard diet. Again, it doesn't tell us what kind of event they had. I'm assuming they're implying this was a myocardial infarction, but they don't clarify that. So again, absolutely worthless study, yet it made headlines across the country and around the world um, in all of the news uh, headlines of all of the things that they could have talked about from this, um, uh, their annual, their, the ACC's annual scientific sessions, they picked this out, they cherry picked it um, because, well, I don't think it was cherry picked. I think it was actually specifically designed to be a news article for this reason. Um, so again, crappy study, crappy design, poor, poor groups of people. They only had 300 people in the, in the low carb arm 
we don't even know if they were low carb because it was it was from a diet journal uh, uh, by recall over 11 years. And then this wasn't actually truly low carb because even if they were eating 1,200 calories, which is about 90 grams of protein per meal, and most women don't eat near that anyway, um, uh, I have to encourage my patients to eat 90 grams of protein. Uh, I highly doubt that they were eating that much uh, that much, and their carbohydrate levels are, are skewed. So really bad study. Um, hopefully that clarifies uh, what you understand there with th- this being a worthless study. And we can't really take any information from this study other than a really bad headline. So what do I do when I counsel a patient that comes into my office about their diet and vascular disease? Um, number one, uh, I'm going to look at a couple things. Are you keeping your carbohydrate level low enough to control your insulin? Now, I've had people argue with me over and over again that insulin is not the cause of heart disease, and that's actually not true. Insulin is, dire- is directly related to whether or not we esterify small, dense particle LDLs. So what that means is that the higher your insulin goes, the less and less of those LDL particles you esterify. Now, what does esterification mean? Esterification means that you're pulling the cholesterol ester into the inside of the the, the chylomicron or the, uh, the, the lipoprotein so that that cholesterol molecule becomes big and fluffy. If your insulin is high, the cholesterol is not esterified and it sticks to the outside of the lipoparticle and the cholesterol particle becomes small and dense and dangerous. So the higher your insulin is within about a 72-hour window, the the less likely you are to esterify the cholesterol and the more small, dense particles you start to create. Um, Your small particles last for about 72 hours, depending on what your diet was, and they change about every 72 hours or so. So we can look at that. Now, I want to see that your small, dense LDL particle is roughly around 500 um, nanomoles per liter or less. That tells me that predominantly your insulin was low enough that your cholesterol molecules are big and fluffy and they're not the kind that cause atherosclerosis in the arteries. We know that from a number of studies. And again, I'll point that, point that out in that cholesterol mini course as to where, where you see the science behind that. Number two is, is your triglyceride less than 100? Now, triglyceride changes every 24 hours. And if your triglyceride is less than 100, we know that you're not esterifying cholesterol because insulin directly raises triglyceride within that 12 to 24 hour window. So if your insulin's up, your triglycerides are going to be up. And I know if you did your lab work, then that's going to, that's going to be effective there. Um, is your insulin when you fast close to or less than five? If it's above five, you're producing larger amounts of insulin and you're likely to have higher levels of small dense LDL particle. You're likely to have higher triglycerides. Uh, a lot of people say, well, doc, I just have, I just have a gen- genetic tri- high triglycerides. No, you have genetic insulin resistance and your insulin's high and your triglycerides are high because of that. That's it. That they directly correlate. And in 20 years of my medical practice, I have yet to see a single person that brings that insulin level down and their triglyceride doesn't drop below 100. It happens every single time. It's not genetic cholesterol. It's genetic insulin resistance. And if you fix your diet, you'll fix your cholesterol and you'll fix your small dense uh, particle numbers as well. Now, we can verify that, which I've been doing with my patients for years, either having them do a stress test, um, a carotid ultrasound, or a CAC score. Now, the most ideal test is a stress test. You have the cardiologist do a stress test on you. He looks at your arteries um, and makes sure they're okay. Um, You can do a carotid ultrasound. Now, that's not looking at the heart directly. That's looking at the carotid arteries, but we can extrapolate that if there's plaque in the arteries, we know there's plaque in the heart. The other way is to do a CAC score. Now, CAC scores are not, this is a a coronary artery calcium score done by a CAT scan. These are not perfect because they miss 40% of plaque. Um, Only 60% of plaque are calcified, and the CAT scan only picks up the calcification in those 60%. It misses 40%. So it's not not a perfect test, and that's why insurance doesn't cover it, but it is another way to to measure it. So, you know, what's what's your small particle number? What's your triglyceride? What's your insulin level? Those are the three ways that I know you're, you're doing well and you're keeping that 
insulin down and you're not making plaque? Uh, and then are we screening you on a regular basis if you're over 45 with a stress test or a carotid ultrasound or a CAC score? Those are the things that I would highly recommend um, if you're looking to understand, um, you know, is your ketogenic diet causing problems? And that's what I do with my patients in the office all the time. So hopefully that helps. Hopefully that gives you a bit of insight. Uh, you guys have a great day and we'll catch you in the next round. Bye-bye. If you have a question that you'd like discussed on Doc Talk, I'd love to answer it. I cannot give individual advice or recommendations, but we can answer the question in an educational format and give you some tools to make educated decisions about your health. If you have a question, email it to questions at docmuscles.com. Again, that's questions at docmuscles.com, D-O-C-M-U-S-C-L-E-S.com. If you are interested in more personal instruction and information on any of these topics discussed here, go to docmuscles.com forward slash membership to learn more and sign up to be a part of my health and coaching services. It only takes a couple of minutes to learn more about your health. Again, that's docmuscles.com forward slash membership.